0: Well, Christianity is monotheistic. There's today's big word, monotheistic, which means we believe in one God. Now, it might seem rather obvious to you. If you kind of look at the discussion that happens in our society, the conversation is whether there is no God, atheism, or one God, which is the Christian view of the world. But that only seems obvious to us because of Christianity, because of the impact, the influence that Christianity has had on our culture. There are plenty of other parts of the world today, and certainly parts of history, where, well, you, you wouldn't ever think that there is no God but you also wouldn't think that there is only one God, right? There's a, there's a polytheistic, right? Mono- monotheistic, there's only one God. Polytheistic, there are many. See, Christianity and Judaism before it were certainly very strange. They were unusual at that time. When you go back to the birth of Christianity in the first century. To be monotheistic was weird. It wasn't a question of whether there was a God or not. Everybody assumed there was a God. The question was, are there many gods, many spirits, many forces that work in the world or only one? So Christians were weird then because they believed that there was only one God. Christians are weird today because we believe there is a God. Now, it feels like there's a modern resurgence of polytheism. Now, certainly within Hinduism and a few of the other quite large world religions, there's this view of lots of different gods. But I think it's happening in our society again now with, with the, the resurgence of New Age spirituality. Now, they may not necessarily say that they are different gods, but there is an, an awareness of the spirit world and the forces that are at play in the world. It's influencing Christianity. Christianity. There are whole branches of Christianity that are these days, really are what you would call into kind of spiritism. I I don't want to call it spirituality because that can be a good thing, but spiritism, where you are concerned about forces at play and the supernatural and how to influence it and how they influence you. Now, polytheism, the belief that there are lots of gods, has some advantages. There's a reason why it exists. It's very useful for helping to explain the world. Let me think about the world for a moment. And it seems to be full of all these competing ideas. There's war and peace. There's kind and anger and evil. There's good. There's... And so you just say, well, there's a God for each of these areas. And that helps to explain it. It's raining today. Oh, the God of thunder is a bit displeased with us. There's a drought oh well maybe he's gone on holidays there's it gives you a way of explaining the chaos in the world it also helps to explain why there are so many religions so if there were lots of different gods it would make sense that there are lots of different religions because this one found that god and this one found that god and therefore that's how we go it also helps you to work out, and by the way, I think polytheism is wrong, just, just in case you don't, I'm, I'm just giving it a, a little bit of air time, but I, we're not polytheistic, we are monotheistic, but it also does provide a way to live. Because say you need to get ahead in your business, well you go and find whichever the God or the force or the spirit is that might help you, and you somehow placate or please that particular force, and therefore you can get ahead in your business or maybe things are going bad in your life, and you've got to go and find the God who's displeased with you, and go and sort business out with him. Now, there are some disadvantages to polytheism, the biggest of which is that it's not true, right? That's a disadvantage. Um, But but for for polytheistic cultures, you end up feeling in bondage, essentially. You end up slaves to your God's The gods are displeased, and so we have to go and find the right God to please. We have to go and find the right force that we have to work out business with. Monotheism also has its advantages. It also helps to explain the world because there are parts of the world that are in harmony and unity. There are parts of the world that make sense, that are consistent. And so particularly if you have one God who is the creator God, who is consistent, then you are able to apply consistency to the world. We we end up with science, would you believe, out of Christianity. However, the disadvantage to monotheism, and you'll see the point of where I'm going in a moment, the disadvantage to monotheism is that often God is then perceived as distant as very far removed from me. God is so big and so other and so far away that monotheistic religions end up having to create intermediaries, people who are between me and God. He's hes busy. There's no way that he would ever pay attention to me. I'm I'm little, I'm insignificant, I'm nobody. So I have to find somebody who's got God's ear that I can go through. Now, you think about Christianity even, has that built into it. In the Old Testament, God-given intermediaries. There were priests who would stand between the people and God. Not necessarily because God was removed and distant and uninterested, but you had those intermediaries. And so we come to Hebrews chapter 1. Now, Hebrews chapter 1 is very clear about what's going on. Supernatural beings do exist. Now, if you're a Christian, I take it you already knew that because God is a supernatural being. It's not something that we have to argue and discuss about. However, there are other supernatural beings and Hebrews 1 is very clear, they are not comparable to God. It's not that, and this is the, the culture's picture, right? There's God and Satan and they're kind of about the same and they're, they're always fighting with each other. And, no, that's not true. They aren't aren't comparable. God is the one creator of God. Now, as we work through Hebrews 1, what I particularly want to draw out for you is the relationship between Jesus and these spiritual beings, Jesus and the angels. And that matters, okay? You might be sitting there thinking, well, it matters because as we see the relationship between Jesus and the angels, it's going to help us understand our place. Okay, so by the end of today, I really want two things. I want you to be really, really confident that Jesus is God. We're going to hammer that. But I also want you to know where you sit and where you will sit at the end, ruling over all the spiritual beings by Jesus' side. Now, I'm also going to do a little bit of a disservice to this chapter. And I'm telling you that because I feel bad doing it. If you're ever going to work through Hebrews chapter 1, the first three verses are some of the most important verses in the whole Bible. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 to 3, really help us understand how it is that we can know God. Let me read through them quickly. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. God has communicated in a range of ways. He spoke through a donkey once. He spoke through the prophets. He spoke in lots of different ways and in lots of different times. But, verse 2, in these last days, that's the age we live in, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. You want to know God, you have to know Jesus. There's the summary of verses 1 to 3. And if you want to try and know God any other way, you're going to end up wrong. God makes himself known in Jesus. Now we're going to move on. It's really why I feel bad, because we should do a couple of Sundays worth of those verses, but there's the point. The, as he moves on, though, he wants to draw this comparison between the Son and the angels. Because right, you might well be forgiven for thinking that in order to get to know God, you've got to get to know the angels. The angels are going to tell you about God. No, it's the Son. And let me be very clear, he says. Let me show you why. Second half of verse 3. After Jesus had provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, and so he became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Verse 4 is the key. Jesus is superior to the angels. He's greater by far. However, before we get into that, let me give you six things about angels that matter. Now, they're not out of this passage. right? I think they're true out of the Bible. And so if you want to chase it up, I'll give you some more later. Number one. The word angel just means messenger. It's a Greek word that unfortunately, instead of translating, they left as a Greek word. right? So in your text, whenever it says angel, really it should just say messenger. That's, that's what the word means. That's what ought to have been translated. And so they can sometimes be, oh, we'll come to that. All right, number one, angel, messenger. Number two, they are created beings. I know this because everything is created. You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honour and praise. For you created all things, and by your will they existed and have their being. Revelation 4.11. Including the angels. They are created beings. So, number three, they are never equal to God. We don't believe in dualism, where there are multiple competing gods, as we said earlier. These spiritual beings are created beings. Fourth, am I going too fast? one, messenger, two, they're created, three, not equal, four, they are heavenly, that they are spiritual, they are supernatural. Now, because the word angel just means messenger, they can also be Human. some have entertained angels unawares people and just look like human beings but they do have certain power different power to humans you think of the angels who visited lot Uh, if you're unfamiliar with the story that kind of beside the point they come and visit him they blind people they manage to kind of transport lot and his family out somehow and then they call the fire of god down upon the city that's unusual power (laughs) that's not my neighbor anyway all right. So, fourthly, they are heavenly. Fifthly, they are God's servants. Um, you could go and look up Psalm ninety-one verse eleven, which I think is the verse that people get the idea of guardian angels from. There you go. Have you ever heard someone talk about a guardian angel? I think it comes from Psalm ninety-one eleven, where God commands His angels to guard His people. And then, sixthly, angels are how God's word came. Now, let me explain that one more. Angels are how God's word came. That is, through the Old Testament, as the law was given, there's a bunch of verses that say that the law was put into place through the intermediaries that are the angels. Now, I've got a bunch of verses. Write them down. I'm not going to look them up today, but you can look them up later. Deuteronomy 33, 2 and 3. And then it's kind of either quoted or referenced in Acts chapter 7, Verse 53. Galatians three nineteen and Hebrews chapter 2 verse 2. Now because we're already in Hebrews let me read that Hebrews one for you just the next chapter. If the message spoken by angels was binding and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment how shall we escape if we ignore such a great salvation? The point being the comparison between the law which the angels spoke according to Stephen in Acts 7, according to Paul in Galatians 3, according to Hebrews 2. So the law, the Old Testament word of God was brought by angels to human beings. They spoke God's word. However, as great as angels are, again verse 4 in chapter 1, Jesus became as much superior to the angels as the name he has inherited is superior to theirs. Does anything strike you as weird about that verse? He became as much superior. What a strange word. I mean, that implies that he wasn't superior to the angels. In fact, that's exactly what we read in chapter 2 and verse 9. Come over to chapter 2, verse 9. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death. That is... Jesus was always greater than the angels because Jesus is God, as we will see in a moment. As God, he was always superior to the angels. But in the incarnation, as he became human, he was made lower than the angels. For now, we sit below them. But he became superior. How? Well, because the name he inherited is superior to theirs. And what is the name that he inherited? Well, verse 5, for to which of the angels did God ever say, you are my son? Today I have become your father. Now, there are two very confusing terms that we Christians use. Son of God and God the Son. And they mean very different things. So God says to Jesus you are my son today I have become your father. Well hang on wasn't Jesus as God always God the son? How is it that God became his father? Well that's because the son of God means something different to God the son. It's a reference to Psalm chapter 2 and 2 Samuel chapter 7. Those are worth writing down. Now look Um, just to show you, I'm I'm not a genius who remembers every verse. In your Bible, you'll see when you've got the text as a little footnote and the footnote tells you what verse it came from. Okay, Um, This is for you when you're reading it. It's worth going and looking those sorts of things up. Psalm chapter 2 and 2 Samuel 7. Now, Psalm chapter 2 is fantastic. 2, 2 Samuel 7 is one of the most important verses that you may never have come across. 2 Samuel chapter 7, God makes a promise to King David. And he promises David that one of his children will become the son of God and will be the king who will reign forevermore. Now from that point on, the kings of Israel became known as the son of God until the real king came, the true king who would reign forevermore, Jesus, the true son of God. So God, the, the Son of God and God the Son, do not mean the same thing. God, the Son, is what we mean when we talk about second person of the Trinity, and it means God. right? More importantly, here's the one that you want. The Son of God means God's chosen eternal king. It means king. Are you with me or have I lost you completely? The Son of God means king. God the Son means God. Mate, you write it down, because otherwise you, you, like, we'll finish church and you'll be like, hang on, which was which? And it really matters, because the Bible never uses these words, God the Son. Uh, strangely, right? These are words we have, used, Christians have made in order to describe a reality. It's, it's a true reality, I'll show you to in a moment, but Jesus is called the Son of God over and over and over again, which means God's chosen king. That is, as God's chosen king, Jesus became superior to the angels. He was always God. He was incarnate into humanity, made lower than the angels. He was crowned in glory through his suffering and death, was made king. And so is now superior to the angels. Jesus is the forever king, the son of God. That is the name he has inherited. That is why he is superior to the angels. But it doesn't stop there. Or again, second half of verse 5, to which of the angels did God ever say, I will be his father and he will be my son? All right, same again. We've got Psalm 2, 2 Samuel 7. He continues on in verse 6 again. When God brings his firstborn into the world, he says, let all God's angels worship him. I mean, it's pretty unambiguous, right? God's son, this eternal king, as he becomes the king, the angels are instructed, worship him. Which, by the way, in the Bible, worship only ever belongs to God. Verse 7, he continues on in speaking of the angels, right? What are they? Well, he makes his angels winds, his servants flames of fire, which is a little bit weird because if you go and read Psalm 104, which is, it is quoted from, this is backwards. As in in Psalm 104, he says, he makes winds his angels and fire his messengers. Which I just want to point out by way of reminding us that even fire is in God's hands. We, we've, we've had it pretty rough the last little while. and We need to keep remembering that it's not out of God's control. In fact, fire, even the sort of fire we have, is part of his plan. But the point being here, angels are temporary compared to, verse 8, about the sun. He says, your throne, O God, will last forever and ever. Righteousness will be the scepter of your kingdom. You have loved righteousness and hated wickedness. Therefore, God, your God, has set you above your companions by anointing you with the oil of joy. Angels come and go. They're temporary but the sun is forever. Now, there's a problem as soon as you hit verse 8. If you don't believe that Jesus is God, it's a big problem. About the Son, about Jesus, he says, your throne, O God. Well, hang on, you just called Jesus God. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? I mean, you, you Now, some people have tried to get around it. It's translated differently, they might say. Really, it should say, your throne is God, and it will last forever. That's just weird, right? There's nothing here that suggests that's the case. Your throne, O God. Or if you come down to the very next little bit there in verse 9, therefore, and this gets even weirder, about Jesus, he says, therefore, God, your God Has set you above your companions. Now hang on a second. If Jesus is God, how does he have God? Are you confused yet? You should be. Because it's a confusing idea. How can Jesus, if he is God, have a God? Either the writer to the Hebrews was smoking the funny stuff, or God is a liar. Or it's all completely messed up. Or God is God and Son. Somehow the beginnings of the doctrine that we call Trinity, just because we need a word to describe it, is right there. The one who is God, Jesus, also has God. God the Father. In fact, it gets even clearer in the next verse or muddier. We'll see. Verse 10, he also says, In the beginning, O Lord, you laid the foundations of the earth. The heavens are the work of your hands. They will perish, but you remain. They will wear out like a garment. You will roll them up like a robe. Like a garment, they will be changed, but you remain the same. And your years will never end. Remember, we're talking about Jesus still. Do you remember Genesis 1-1? Who remembers Genesis 1-1? In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Jesus, in the beginning, you laid the foundations of the earth. Really? Now he's quoting Psalm, uh, sorry, what is it? Genesis chapter 1, with Psalm 102 in the background. Now, look. If you're a quick Bible flicker, come back to Psalm 102. It's kind of the middle of your Bible. Keep a finger in Hebrews 1 because we're coming back there. And I want to show you a little feature of your Bible. Assuming that the, your, your version of it has this in it. But it should, that most of them do. Come back to Psalm 102 and verse 1. Psalm 102. Okay, look what it says. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Now, stop there. Did you know that Lord is in all capitals? L-O-R-D. Ever struck you as unusual? Now, throughout the Bible, there are two different words that are translated as Lord. One of them is the word Yahweh. That's the name of God. Um, we don't actually know how to pronounce it. I could be saying it completely wrong. Um, No one knows how to pronounce it because the Jews didn't want to say God's name and get it wrong. So instead of saying God's name, they would replace it for the word Adonai, which means Lord. So when we come to English, whenever God's name is in the text, they translate it with the same word as the word for Lord, but they put it into those capitals so that you'd realize that actually it's God's name. See, I am man. That's what I am. God is God. My name is David Luke Blouse. That is my name. That is my identity. I have that identity. God's name is Yahweh, however you pronounce it, right? That is his name. So when... The writer to the Hebrews is saying that God is speaking of Jesus with the words of Psalm 102. God is calling Jesus by his name. He's not even saying Jesus is God, as in Jesus is man, right? He's saying Jesus is David Luke Blair. Jesus is Yahweh. If you want to say that Jesus is not God, then you have to explain how is it that God himself calls Jesus by God's very own name. His identity, who he is. The one who created from the very beginning. Now look, it's not the only place where this happens. Uh, you can again write these down Joel chapter 2.32 which again speaks of Yahweh God by his name is referred to of Jesus in Romans 10.13 or Isaiah 45.23 is quoted in Philippians 2.10-11 to again of Jesus this is not uncommon in the New Testament Jesus is called by God's very own name So the worship that belongs to God alone is is directed to Jesus. The attributes that belong to God alone are given to Jesus. The very name of God himself is used of Jesus. So friends, we come back to where we started. If you've got a JW who knocks on your door, if you've got a Mormon who knocks on your door, if you're in a conversation with a Muslim person, any of those want to say to you, Jesus is not really God... Right, Unitarian Christians, they, 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 there's, there's Christian sects who will also say the same thing. You have my permission to say to them, well, you clearly have not read it. And so as it comes down to verses 13 and 14, come back to Hebrews 1. As he gets down to verses 13 and 14, he asks this rhetorical question. To which of the angels did God ever say, sit at my right hand until I make an, your enemies a footstool for you? Yeah, the answer clearly is none. This belongs to Jesus and Jesus alone. Are not all angels ministering spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation? They're sent to serve. They're they're not special. They're not anything that we ought to worship or fear. They are sent to serve. Although note by the way, sent to serve. They're not ours to control. There's a whole branch of Christianity that is determined to control the spirits. They're not ours to control. They're sent by God to serve. Well, so what? Oh, it's, it's, it's an interesting, I hope you found that an interesting passage. I've enjoyed it thoroughly. But so what? I mean, did we just go home and, woo, that was fun? Well, I've got four things. Four things where this really it matters a lot. Number one, the place of the angels is a clear, unambiguous declaration of the divinity of Jesus. And that matters a lot. Jesus is not a created being. He is God. But he's also not a human who is beneath the angels. He is the one human who, because he has become the son of God, become the king, is superior to the angels. So firstly, we learn about Jesus. Secondly, therefore, we learn about our place. See, right now, in this age, we are, as this text says, lower than the angels. I don't even know what that means, right? It's not that we're less important because salvation has been won for us, not for them. But it does mean that in the age to come, in Jesus, we will be superior to the angels. We will rule with Jesus. And so that means that we don't live in fear of them. If if you find that you are in bondage, in captivity to the spiritual world don't be for in jesus we will rule and certainly don't worship right if 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 you're looking for intermediaries between you and god and you've you've wandered off into some form of mystic christianity please come back new age spiritism even as it's influencing influencing christianity is wrong it's blasphemous and it's of the devil and I'm, i'm warning you again because it it Sadly seems like we're, we're coming back into the age of it again. Uh, a few or a year or two ago now, I became a little bit curious about um, clairvoyance and mediums, and not curious as in I wanted to go and explore it, but curious as in, do people even still do it? Like I, to, to me, it's such a strange thing. So I went and found a couple of local Facebook groups that are kind of dedicated to this sort of stuff. And they have thousands of members who routinely go and interact with these kind of future tellers and whatever it is that you call them, right? And, and, and all the comments are like, oh, I can't, I can't live without going and visiting my clairvoyant and I, I can't make decisions without this or that or the other thing and I can't... And the saddest comments were by people who essentially were saying they are Christian and this is how they live. In fact, there are a couple of major churches... Um, particularly, some American mega churches that are getting lost into New Age mysticism and calling it Christianity. Saying that that we're, we are reclaiming from them that which was always ours and ending up in a form of Christianity that is nothing like what the Bible has to say. I saw the announcement this week that one of them, I'm not going to name them, I don't want you to go and look them up, one of the, the, the mega charismatic, hyper charismatic American churches that run a seminary with thousands of students in this kind of new essentially New Age mysticism is starting this year in Sydney, right? Like this, this isn't removed, this isn't distant from us. We need to know our place and what is right and wrong. Okay, number one, the place of angels teaches us the place of Jesus. Number two, therefore we learn about our place. Number three, if the son is superior to the angels, then the salvation he brings is superior too. That is, if you remember the angels or the ones who they were the intermediaries who brought the law, which is good, served its purpose. But the son is now God himself who brings salvation through faith alone, that we might rule with Jesus in glory. And so fourthly, and finally, let's finish where we finished last week. You fix your eyes on Jesus that's what we're doing throughout january is we read through matthew's gospel particularly if you've had your eyes fixed somewhere else make sure you bring it back to jesus the one who is greater than all the one who is god himself revealing god to us the one who has won a salvation that is incomparable by grace through faith let me pray heavenly father we thank you for your word And uh, we thank you for this astonishing picture uh, of, of the Old Testament speaking into Jesus himself, how it shows us the reality of the spiritual forces that are around us, but how it also teaches us so clearly of the place of your son. We thank you that Jesus is both God the Son, he is divine, he is God, and he is also now, as a human being, the Son of God, your King, installed forever on your throne, reigning now, and will rule forevermore. Father, we ask that you would give us clear eyes to see Jesus and to understand his place and our place in the world, that we might worship and live for him alone and not be distracted by anything else. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.